over the years, I have heard a number of people try to justify themselves by saying, you know, I'm not a bad person. I've never killed anybody. And I find myself trying not to laugh because I think, well, if that's the standard of goodness, we're in trouble. You know, if, if the only measure of being a bad person is murder, then it kind of leaves us with a society which gets away with anything. But that really has become the situation. We live in a world which decides what is immoral based on public opinion. And as we've seen, that public opinion can change so quickly depending on who's controlling the media. And so things that were immoral a generation ago are now celebrated. And we can easily fall into this idea of justifying all sorts of sin. You know, we divide lies as being a white lie versus a black lie. A lie that's justified, where you can get away with, as opposed to a lie that is, is unforgivable. But maybe a lie is just a lie. You know, you're just breaking away from truth. And this, I think, starts to raise the whole question of what actually is sin? You know, we live in a world which doesn't believe in truth anymore. We live in a world where the individual becomes the sole arbitrator of what is right and wrong. There is no longer any absolute sense of morality. And so as Christians we can so easily fall into that and we can start to excuse ourselves because everyone else is doing the same thing. What is common is therefore normal and what is normal is therefore moral. We've got to get back to the scriptures and we need to get back to the understanding that these rules are not just some arbitrary code that God created because he was bored. These are things which kill us if we don't live according to his commandments. And we've got to start to see the commandments through the lens of the Father who loves us. Some years ago, I was attending the World Youth Day celebration in Cologne, in Germany. The final mass was chaotic. There was two million people crammed into a small area and they had these huge towers of scaffolding set up with TV screens and speakers. And young people, being young people, they naturally want to be adventurous and try and get the best view. And so a number of young people were climbing this scaffolding so that they could see over the crowd to the main stage. And at one point... Over the speakers came this very stern, authoritative German voice in English saying, Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you do not climb the towers or you may be killed. Now, clearly English wasn't their first language and their choice of wording didn't quite express their concern for people's lives because it sounded more like a threat. But over the years, I've sometimes used that as an image of how we approach the commandments. I think if we approach the commandments with an image of a God who is authoritative and scary and 
just waiting to send someone to hell, then it's natural that we're going to see this as being a, a terrifying thing or something we need to hide from. We need to try and convince God that we haven't actually broken any rules. Whereas if we can start to see these rules as being about life, each one of these is calling us to the fulfillment of life. They're calling us to what it means to be fully human. And there's a reason why they are in that order. I don't know whether you've ever noticed this before, but as I mentioned at the beginning, we sometimes think the most important ones are the ones at the end. Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal. They're the ones we're going to get in trouble for. And the ones at the beginning, like all that stuff about honouring your parents and the Sabbath and worshipping God, no one really takes those ones seriously. But the whole way that these commandments have been arranged is that if you manage to keep the first commandment, you don't have to worry about the other nine because you won't break them. And even if you don't keep that first one perfectly, if you manage to keep the other three, you're not going to have to worry about all the others either. You're never going to have to worry about murdering someone or stealing other people's property if you are not turning other things into a false god. If your one desire is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, then all these other things of coveting and stealing and hating, they're not going to become part of your life. And so really what God is doing here is he's trying to say, get the first one correct and the rest will come. You know, St. Paul picks up on this as well in the letter to the Romans where he points out basically what the most important sin of all is. The worst sin you could ever create. The sin from which every other sin originates. And it's not murder. It's not theft. It's not adultery. It's a little thing which the church would refer to as impiety a word you may not have even heard of before. You've probably heard the word piety, basically sort of meaning like prayer. Impiety basically means the refusal to worship. I acknowledge the gift of God, but I choose to not worship God for that. Yeah, St. Paul says this very clearly in chapter 1 of the letter to the Romans, where he says, you know, ever since the creation of the world, God's eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made. So these people are therefore without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their senseless minds were darkened. That's the original sin. You know, not original sin in the sense that we use in Catholic theology, but that is the sin that leads to every other sin. The reason you steal is because you are not worshipping God for what you have. And so avarice and greed come into your heart. The reason you lust 
is because you are not worshipping God for the person who's in front of you. And so you objectify them and you want to steal their beauty rather than see it as truly being a gift from God that needs to be worshipped, to worship God for that gift. And I think this is the, the whole thing of sin. If the essence of all of our sin is the failure to worship, then the remedy for all of our sin is worship. If we can come back to truly praising and glorifying God for every bit of creation we have, whether that is inanimate objects or human beings, the people we're in relationship with, if we can truly see the gift of God and worship God for that, the sin vanishes. Our hearts change. We are no longer these hungry, desperate creatures trying to fill an emptiness inside of us, but we suddenly now become creatures who are seeing the love of God everywhere and almost drowning in the love of God. If you look at the work that the Holy Spirit does in the early church, and once again, St. Paul says this, that the, the Holy Spirit comes to give us a gift of worship, to give us a gift of praise. And what the Spirit is basically doing is healing the blindness that came over Adam and Eve in the garden when they refused to worship. That same blindness that has afflicted every human being ever since that day, where we cannot see the gift or we refuse to acknowledge the creator of that gift. The Spirit comes to open our hearts, to open our eyes, to see the creator who lies behind the gift. And we can suddenly start to engage in the true joy of what that is because we see the love of God shining through. The lie that the devil has been telling us ever since the Garden of Eden is that God does not care for you. God wants to steal your joy. The best thing you can do is push God away and take creation for your own. Now that comes through gluttony, that comes through lust, that comes through greed, comes through every way that we engage with creation in a distorted way. The Holy Spirit comes to help you see it differently. So you can start to see the gift of God shining through the food that is on your dinner plate. And I seriously encourage you to do this tonight. If you can, amongst the midst of kids throwing food at each other and complaining, try to look at that piece of broccoli and see the gift of God, the love of God, and worship God for it. The next time you feel tempted to gorge yourself on chocolate, just sit back for a moment and truly recognize the love of God shining through it. Allow the love of God to fill your hunger and your emptiness. We need to allow the Spirit to heal this brokenness in our hearts. It's only then that these vices, the greed, the envy, the selfishness, the anger, the murder, the lust, these things will start to vanish. 
because we are no longer beggars violently fighting each other for scraps, but we now find ourselves being overwhelmed by the love of the Creator shining through. The remedy to sin is worship, because the origin of sin is the failure to worship. So the next time you feel tempted, pray for the Holy Spirit to give you a spirit of praise, to take away the scales from your eyes so that you could see creation in its true glory and start to sing the glory of God.